Dawson. Drop that beat to start the episode. We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas. It is the 5th of July and um, this podcast will be played on the 7th of July. Folks, there are a lot of things that are really pending right now in our society. Let's look at some of them. We're dealing with rampant shootings now. Everything about two a day. Mass shootings. We had one recently yesterday in Chicago area. Or north of Chicago, I should say. We got problems. We've had problems. And of course, we go with the gun rights thing, I'm not going to get into that, but here's the thing that we have to look at. Some of the very people that you may wind up dating could have opposing views based on something such as this social issue that has an impact on everybody's lives in some capacity. I, for one, don't like going to public places anymore, and Vegas is a very public place and have a good time but if you remember a few years ago there was a guy that got in Mandalay Bay and shot up a concert now one of the interesting things that they said during the investigation was that he had intended to do this downtown Las Vegas but logistically he couldn't which would have affected me greatly because I those of you know, I used to go to the Grand a lot, which is uh, a hotel downtown Vegas that hosted a lot of uh, R&B music during certain days of the week. So who knows? We always have to look at our fate. We had the Buffalo shooting earlier this year. We had the school shooting down there in Texas. These are people who have mental issues and you mix it with guns and any other kind of concoction of things that would be dangerous and you have an unpredictable environment. Now we have to look at what has happened also with Roe v. Wade. It's been overturned. And there was a lady that was on one of the shows, and she was so happy it was overturned. African American woman. She was an attorney, I guess. And she deals with adoptions. 
and one of the reporters asked her something pretty interesting. She says, I see that you're African American and you are happy about this Roe v. Wade being turned over. She said, but won't you find it more difficult in order to try to place these black children and Latin children in homes? It seemed like she kind of sidestepped the question. Talking about it's a great thing. I know she may see it as being more business for her. But here's the thing you have to look at. And any couple will tell you that's tried to adopt. It can make it very difficult. And they also have to look at the age ranges of those children being adopted. Because there are some that are popular and others that are not. So we have to think about that too. But what really struck me and really poured on my head like cold ice water. There was a 10 year old girl that was the victim of a rape. Who's now pregnant. And they're sending her to another state for an abortion. This is what I'm talking about when they talk about not having exceptions. I hope to God they find the guy that got her pregnant. And I hope that they really prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. He has ruined that poor child's life. And this was a child. A child, an innocent child. She should be playing with Bobby Dolls instead of having a potential child. She's a child herself. What the hell is wrong with this country? Where have we gone? What? Here's the thing. Now I want you to think about it. That child is 10. And let's take for instance, I believe she was in Indiana where they have enforced the laws. So she has to go to Ohio. Just think if she's forced to rear that child. She's only going to be 10 years older than that child. So by the time she's 40, that child will be 30. She's not going to really know anything about life in order to bestow it on that child. Because she's going to still be on the learning curve herself throughout it. At some point, as she develops in life and becomes an adult, she's going to need maybe companionship. Let's say she goes into her 20s and she has a child that's 10 years old and she has that horrific experience of what happened to her to have the child. That experience doesn't go away. That trauma doesn't go away. She's got to work with that through the rest of her life. Which means that some young man that she may meet in his 20s, who she decides to have a relationship with, 
He's going to have to have some understanding like you wouldn't believe. He's going to have to have some compassion. He's going to have to understand that the woman that he's going to be dealing with at that time took on those responsibilities of an adult at age 10. Which was an unfair start in her life. Her innocence, her childhood, all of that's been taken away due to some jackass that needs to be behind bars. It makes no sense. It makes no sense, people. And you wonder why you go out and you meet people on dating apps and dating sites and you meet people in the throes of life and they're fucked up? It's because what they were exposed to. And a lot of times we spend our time condemning these people instead of understanding them. fight like hell as they dealt with their trauma to try to normalize their lives in some kind of way. They deserve a happy life. And a lot of us sometimes write people off because they had drama and trauma. You just have to know what you're able to stomach when you're dealing with individuals that are going through these trying things. It varies. And I know this is not a popular subject to talk about, but it's something we have to look at. After all, this shows romantic truth that we deal with the issues pertaining to the difficulty that you will experience, I will experience, along with everybody else when it comes to meeting someone new and in life and in a relationship. How many of you have gone on a dating site, met someone, and that person asks you, so how's the dating site worked out for you? How many of you had that question? And a lot of you can commiserate with some of the horror stories. And some of them may not be horrible. They just may be situations where you met someone that wasn't up to par. I met a lady that said that she allowed this guy to pick her up. And what he failed to tell her was that he needed brakes on his car. They're going to a restaurant he goes to slow down behind this guy, this car that was in front of him at a red light. And he hit the brakes, and she noticed that his whole damn uh, control panel lit up. And she said she knew she was in trouble when she saw red, and it said brakes. He smacked right in the back of the other car. Well, that wasn't all of his problems. His insurance had lapsed. 
said she took a cab and left him right there. But see, folks, this is the thing. And guys, this is the reason why I tell you, when your ass broke like that, you don't need to be dating. That's where you take yourself out of that dating situation until you could get yourself positioned in a little better situation. This is what most responsible men do when they know that there's no way in hell that they really have enough money to go out on a date they stay their asses at home or they let the woman know up front hey you know what I'm in between paychecks I gotta give you a rain check on going out now if she suggests about taking you out then understand, you're going to return the favor and do it. Because she's showing a genuine interest in you. But there are some times that doesn't work out so well. Some of you will tell her, hey, next time. Well, there is no next time because you don't have a job. And you feel it's okay. I will use her come up with an excuse and see how far I can go with it. That's not the answer either. It's best to be honest. Let her know. And you never know, fellas. She could have the inside scoop on a job. I will tell you, three of my jobs came from a woman I dated. Not from the same woman, but different women. I remember one lady said, you know what, I'm going to tell my boss about you because you would be an outstanding asset to the company. I went and interviewed, didn't expect to get the job and got it. And it was one of the most wonderful experiences I had. I was working at the time at another company, but she thought I was wasting my time there. And then I really thought about it, and I was, even though I enjoyed what I did. I wasn't going to go anywhere there. And this is what happens. When you meet people, you never know how they could really actually have a proactive way of helping you in your life. You just don't know. This is the reason why you take the gasoline and that match and you put it back in the storage shed so you don't burn up no bridges. That's what I'm getting at. Don't burn your bridges, because you never know when you may have to cross them again. This is the reason why I establish relationships as friendships first. Make them out of steel, as opposed to wood. If I realize that it's not going to go anywhere, I don't even start building that bridge. Just build, treat them cordially, still nice to them, respectful. But you won't be able to build a bridge with everyone. And that's what you have to consider. You won't be able to have you won't be able to do that all the time. And I know it can strike your ego and it can be frustrating, it can make you sad. But that's something you have to really consider. Another thing too, 
you will have people that will constantly churn the dating scene looking for the next new person. And now this person has been on the app forever. And it's not that they're looking for someone. It's that they're constantly out there probing for a new experience. Some of you have run across these folks. They have no intentions of being in a relationship. They like the ambiance and the lifestyle. When I was out there, it was before the internet. And it was a whole different world. Because you would go to gatherings where singles would meet different places. Or you'd go to venues where more than likely people would be single. It was a whole different dynamic and a whole different approach then. There was no texting. You basically had to use your character, your personality, and everything there in real time in front of you. Now you can go online and just send them emojis and go through the motions of you liking a person. It doesn't necessarily mean you do, but when you're face to face with that person, they can look at your expression, look at your cadence when you speak, they can look at your vernacular, they could actually put you under the microscope or critique. Now one thing that I will tell you is this. A lot of women who got married in the 90s, some of you in the 80s, before the advent of technology and now you're divorced, widowed, or single, it is intimidating because of that factor. Because you have to remember, when you went into your marriage and your relationship with that partner back then, First impressions were definitely last impressions. It was more like an interview process. This is one of the reasons why a lot of women during that era were very sensitive about their physical appearance. Because it counted more. You didn't have filters on a Facebook page and those kind of things back then. Things are different now. And there's some women that are still stuck in that mindset that they have to be perfect to be out there because they're still bound by the standards of the past. But now people are just turning on their camera, hair is all over their head, and they're not looking their best. But here's the thing you have to understand. A lot of the superficiality of the past is just that in the past. People are a little bit more well-rounded and seasoned now. People are a lot more knowledgeable. You have a lot of people that understand that they're not going to be liked by everyone. And not only that, many of you are now exposed to more strangers than you used to be in the past. You know, it used to be gathering some functions where you would go to where everybody kind of knew each other. Now, you may meet someone online, Facebook or whatever, and you may choose to meet them. You can meet them more individually now. You didn't have to meet them in a mixed crowd or a large crowd, as in the past. So that dynamic has changed. But as far as the inner operations of the human, it's all still the same. We're still the same as people. Nothing's changed in that department. 
all still the same folks. Now, other things that we have to consider. A lot of people are alienated from technology. So they may be intimidated by, oh yeah, they work on a computer like you wouldn't believe at work and on their cell phones and all the rest. However, they're doing it because it's part of their job. But when it comes to their personal lives, they want to escape technology and actually meet someone one-on-one without having to go through texting and dating apps and all the rest of that because they have a line of demarcation. Computer and technologies for work, I'll probably have a phone for my kids or for family members, but for the most part, if I want to meet somebody, I'm not meeting them online, I want to meet them in person. You have people that have that disposition. Nothing's wrong with it. It may be a little bit more difficult because now people are more online and when they see other people in public, it's a high and wide thing and people are not as socially attached. It's been very transient in many communities where people are coming in from other places because it's cheaper to live in one place and more expensive in the other. So you may deal with a lot of people that are new to town. And so it will take you a while to get to know them and that's if they're even open to knowing you. I can't tell you how many communities I've lived in Southern California where I didn't even know my neighbors. On occasion, I'd see a few. And even if I spoke to them, guess what they wouldn't do? Some wouldn't speak back. And I noticed differences in Los Angeles, not so much of a problem. Santa Monica, nobody wanted to talk to you. Orange County, believe it or not, my neighbors, I couldn't get them to shut up. They were always coming over inviting me to barbecues and dinners and so forth. So it depends also on the feel of the community. It also depends on that. We'll talk more in a moment. Right, folks, let's talk about your relationship and society. Now, there's some people that literally go through life where they don't live it for themselves. They live it based on the standards of what society requires of them. They live it based on the standards that their parents put down for them to live by. So they have uh, a family tradition or a family norm where they can't act a certain way or be their own selves. You look at people in the royal family as an example. They have to keep themselves with a certain demeanor because they represent the nation. So there's a certain protocol that they have to abide by. So in essence, many of them really don't have their own lives. They might have some personal time to themselves But when they step out of the front door, they have to live by the norms of their culture and society. Now what we have to look at is that in relationships, sometimes people are in that same vein and don't realize it. So the family, the church, the society have these predescribed 
expectations for you. Now you don't want to fall short of those expectations. But yet it comes in conflict with your emotional well-being, your social well-being from your perspective. So what you're doing basically is you're sacrificing individually for the social good, so to speak, for the reputation of the family. And so a lot of these people don't have an opportunity. You look in certain cultures, they have an arranged marriage. It's not whether or not you love that person, it's whether or not it's going to benefit the good of the family. And you will be looked upon as a failure if the relationship doesn't work out because the family's going to benefit from exploiting you in that fashion. Or you look at a situation where a person comes in from a country that may be in a third world financially and they come to America and they get a good job and they're expect to, expected to send money back home to help everybody and their mama out. From granddad, grandparents, all the way up or down. They're supposed to do this. A sense of duty. So this person really has not had the chance to live their lives. Person comes from a country in the former communist bloc. And they come to the United States for the first time. And they're tasting freedom. And they look back, especially if they're in their 40s or 50s, and they look how they had to comport themselves in order to just survive within that environment. And they never could really express themselves or live the way they wanted to live or chose to live. And you have some people that literally become conditioned to perpetuate that very same behavior. So they have children and they may marry an extrovert or data extrovert and they come into conflict when it comes to parenting. I want my kid to learn about science and religion. And the other person may say, no, I just want them to learn about religion only. They don't need to know about science. Things of this nature. And we have to think about them because these are things that are gonna impact the way you will exist. And what does this mean? It means that these people are usually accustomed to living for someone else's benefit, doing things for someone else's benefit. Now, here is the catch-22. You have a lot of men that go overseas to marry women. And first they talk about, well, you know, they're not like American women. American women are too mouthy, too independent, etc., etc. And these women are more conformist. Well, you have to remember now, they're living for the greater good. So you're dealing with a whole cultural dynamic that's different. We stress individualism here. They stress more of a collective reasoning. But the family is very important. Neither one is bad. You just have to understand what you're dealing with. Now, if you have an insecure man that goes into a country to marry a woman, that's a traditionalist. Of course, she's not going to 
give any resistance because in our culture, the man's supposed to be there and take care of her. Which means, in essence, she doesn't have any say for the most part. But here's the thing. He brings her back to the United States and she realizes, I have these rights. I can actually speak my mind. I could go and have my own two feet under me. I don't need him to carry me. It's not that she is breaking off and being totally independent and saying, I don't need a man. But what she's doing is exercising her ability now to think for herself, to believe for herself, to ask questions, to give her man feedback. And this is what some men don't realize when they go over and get a lot of these women. They think they're all going to be culturally repressed. They're going to come here, stay silent, walk behind them, etc., etc. And you have to understand a few things here. One, if this person's been repressed all those years, and not just with relationships, but with family, they will definitely use any opportunity to get away from that. There was a guy when I was in service that wanted to marry this woman. I kept telling him, if you marry her, there's a good possibility when she gets here to the States, she's going to leave you. Oh, no, she wouldn't leave me. She loves me, etc., etc. I said, yes, but what you have to look at is when you first started talking to her, the first thing she asked you was, would you take her back to America? I said, I want you to think about this for a moment. Not about what are we going to do with our relationship? Because she was using you as a vehicle as the family used her to get to the States so that she could benefit the family. Well, sure as crap, years later, he went on and married her. He got her over here to the States. She got a good job in nursing. And then the first argument they had was that she was sending too much money home. She was ten sending two thirds of her paycheck home and she made more than he did. And that was very problematic. After they had been together for I think 12, 13 years, they divorced. Then she started getting her family over here to the States. And she went on and married someone else. But at that point, it saved her money from having to send a remittance with them being here and then working. But he didn't realize at the time that he was being used as a conduit. This is why there are some men out there if they're going to date internationally or overseas, they look for a woman that's already established in her country who doesn't really have an incentive to want to come to the States so readily. Maybe to visit, and if she wants to come over here and live later, she can automatically start up and do her own thing as far as a job. But here's the thing. It's not something where she is desperate or needs to be here. That's what a lot of people don't understand about our immigration policy. It's really designed for the people who come here or the people who are fleeing 
tyrannical dictatorships and those kind of things. It's not designed for you to come over here and make money and get rich. And I think that that's where the focus is lost. Because everybody's not entitled to be wealthy. Not even to have a shot at it. If that was the case, then the United States could take everyone in globally without any problem. And of course, that's ridiculous. That won't ever happen. So what it has to come down to is what we're dealing with now. And that is when you meet people, they may have these stringent rules and standards, values and requirements. And you probably may get an idea after they talk to you about the way they were brought up, where they were raised, about their family. I met a lady and I uh, talked about her before. Her family would not allow her. Hugging was out. Christmas gifts were out. Birthday gifts were out. They would acknowledge each other's birthday verbally, and that was it. So this young lady didn't know what it was like to open up Christmas presents. She didn't know what it was like to actually be celebrated. A treat for them was if their mother made a cake maybe twice a year for dessert or go to an ice cream parlor maybe once a year because of the religious constraints that they had in the household and they had a lot of them. And when I met her, she was very nice, very conservative, but after speaking with her, I could just hear the rigidity in her voice and the resentment for missing out on the things in life she told me she couldn't wait until she became 27 years of age where she finally broke from the chains. They sent her to college immediately. She got an associate degree. They sent her back to get her bachelor's. They sent her back to get her master's in psychology. They sent her back to get her PhD. Well-rounded, well-educated woman in the sense of academia. As far as life, Oh man, she had a soft underbelly. She had no clue how to protect herself. Because she was in a vacuum all those years, still trying to please her parents. And when she got her PhD at 26, she cut the apron strings. And the parents started telling her about doom and gloom and how she was gonna wind up being a whore and how, because she did not abide by their rules by not staying at home where they could control her even more. And then they turned around and started talking about how sickly and ailing they were. Yet they could afford to take trips to Europe and Asia on a regular basis. But it was all a lure to get her back home. They had a guy at the church they wanted her to marry and she flatly refused. And when that happened, that was sacrilege in her family. Everything you marry, everything you touch, everything you date will be tainted from the way her parents thought. They had the truth and the light. 
we met at a library. And here's the funny thing, downtown Los Angeles at the uh, public library there. And the funny thing was, there was this coffee shop that I knew about that was not too far away. And I invited her to coffee, just sit down and talk with her, because she was a very interesting lady, because we got to start, we started talking about James Joyce and his writing. And we were talking about one short story that he had written, where he had done all this traveling, because he hated Ireland. He didn't want to go back, and he wound up coming back home. And it showed the transformation in the man as he went on these travels and then eventually wound up back home. And that was the basis of our conversation. That's what got us started talking to each other because I saw the book she was reading, and I was reading a book by him as well. Now, here's the interesting thing, too. When I took her to this coffee shop, I'd gone there several times before. They had these larger cups. They were like soup bowls damn near with a little thing where you could put your finger through it. The thing was huge. And we sat there and we talked. It reminded me of, uh, uh, before I left LA, uh, Jack and Jill's out in Beverly Hills. They have the huge uh, coffee cups and the big biscuits. If you ever get a chance there, have breakfast there. Great place to eat. And the interesting thing was this. While we were talking, we began to get into each other's background. And as we were talking, she told me about growing up in a religious situation. I told her about when I got kicked out of church in 1969. And it took her breath away because that would have been a no-no in her family, completely. And as she talked to me about all of the constraints she had in her life, I said, you really hadn't had a chance to live for yourself, have you? And she looked away and her eyes got glassy. Because she knew it was the truth. And she says, if it's not my parents, it's my cousins, it's my aunt. There's always somebody I have to be accountable and responsible to. And we kept on talking, and then she says uh, something to the effect. I can't remember exact words, but she said something to the effect of, I'm not the kind of person that will be ever happy in a relationship because I don't know how to be happy. I can't be happy with myself because someone else has dictated my happiness in my life. They've dictated everything that I could have access to in my life. So I don't have any choice in it. And this is honestly the way she felt. And we kept in touch over the years. And eventually she moved back home with her folks. And eventually she started the mundane life that she had before working at the high school as a teacher. But I could tell that she was so frustrated that she was not woman enough to challenge herself or to put her foot down. And when she came to California, she thought she was doing so. But the problem was she didn't have the confidence to back it because they knew how to get to her. 
See, in society, what you have to learn is this. There's a lot of people that are going to try to influence you, as you know, control you, manipulate you. You got it. They're going to try to do it. Your own family does it as well. You're more permissive with people that are in your circle to manipulate you. But sometimes they're doing it for their own benefit. And it's leaving you at odds. In conflict with yourself. I used to listen to the old people in Mississippi a lot. When they talk about, oh, they can't wait to die and meet Jesus. And I'd say, you know, I never want that mindset. Because as I said, if your life was that fucked up that you got to die and meet Jesus in order to have some kind of relief in life, you're in bad shape. You're in bad shape. You got you had a fucked up life. But you were supposed to respect them because they were their elders. But see, you also have to challenge yourself too. Because if you don't, you will wind up with that mindset. And you'll stay static. And never be a dynamic individual that could enjoy their lives. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll talk about in the next segment. What I was about to say in the other segment was the one thing that you'll start to realize when you come into your own, as I've told you before, people who were comfortable with the way you were because you pose no threat of changing things, they're going to be upset with you for the changes you make, for the decisions you make, especially when you start going in your best interest. Some people will say you're selfish. Some people say you're inconsiderate. But you also have to look at the selfishness that they had with you in the position in which you were in that they benefited from more than you. There was another lady that I dated years ago and she was very beautiful and she had all of these minions under her. These women that used to hang around her because she was very attractive. She was biracial. And she would tell me sometimes, you know, I get sick of the shadows. And she would call these women the shadows because they would only hang around her and whatever opinion she had, oh, they were underscoring it. And she would tell me, she said, most women would like this. She says, I can't stand it. She says, because I know all these women are phony patronizing, and the only reason why they wanted to be around her was because she was very attractive. Now, the crazy thing was this. Even though she was very beautiful, it didn't go to her head. And another thing I liked about her more than anything was the fact that at times she would make the women bend for themselves. Girl, you need to go out with us tonight. Or bring your boyfriend with you. And she said, oh no, we're not going anywhere tonight. You guys are going to have to go out there and find your own man. 
I'm not going to sit there at the table and let all these men come around the table trying to talk to me and then dealing with you guys. And what I found with her, it was not just there that she had that problem. It was with her family. African-American family. She was a product of an extramarital affair by her mother with the white man that she worked with, her boss. All of her siblings hated her. Light-skinned bitch. You got straight, pretty hair. You're not one of us. You don't belong in this family. This is what she would get when she would went to see her mother. I went with her one time to meet her mom. Her sisters were vicious. They were picking up arguments that they had when they were in junior high school. And these were grown ass women. Anger and animosity. She broke down one time and told me, I started crying. She said, I don't know why these people hate me. I know I'm in a product of a bastardized marriage. I didn't do nothing to them but be born. The father that was married to a mother walked out after the affair, after the mom told him that she was pregnant by the other man. Never looked back, never came back. Her sisters, the children that they had together, blamed her for breaking up the family. Instead of pointing the finger at mom, nope, mom was an angel. She was the bad person. You think you're better than us. You think you this or that. And she did have some privileges based on her skin color, based on the way she looked. She had no problem with men. She had no problem with people trying to help her in certain aspects of her life and career. She had a better job than the other women. But what I tried to tell her was that was the benefit that society gave her. She didn't ask for it. They gave her that. It's not a problem with her accepting it. It was a problem with society offering it like that. And then of course, she started to have self-doubt. Well, the only reason why you're with me is because I'm a light-skinned woman with straight hair. No, I've dated plenty light-skinned women with straight hair, dark-skinned women with straight hair. And then I showed her the picture of the woman from Uganda that I dated. And the first thing out of her mouth was, God, she's beautiful. Not, oh my God, she's so dark. Because she realized all of the ridicule and the hatred and anger she went through. And she told me, she said, I could imagine she went through a lot. I said, when she got here, she did. Back in her country, there was no problem. She was gorgeous. And I told her, the only people that complimented her were mainly white women and men. 
every time we would go out. People that looked like me, black people. Oh, they had something negative to say about she was a smut baby. She was dark. She was smoke. And she used to always try to tell me, don't get involved. Don't, no, don't, don't go over there and confront them. No, no, that's okay. Let them talk. Those only words. She was a wiser woman. And sadly, my relationship with this young lady didn't last over two months. Because the way she saw it was that everybody was out to get her in some way. Even she thought that I was only with her because of the skin and the hair. But see, the damage had been done in those formative years growing up. And she had this guilt of feeling as though she got all of this attention and everything she wanted just because of the features she had, not because of the person she was. And she was like, I hope you find someone, but I'm not the girl. But what can I say? It takes two for a relationship. She wanted out. The sad thing is, she went with that skewed perspective based on the way she was treated. And eventually, from what I understand, I don't know what really happened to her, but from what I understand from a couple of people I knew, she wound up in a psychiatric hospital. From what I understand, I don't know whether or not it's I never checked up on her history after that or what happened to her. But people have certain things that they contend with. You never know. But you gotta remember, their background will have an indelible impact on the way they behave, in public and in private. A person with low self-esteem we would think that, oh, it has to do with certain obvious characteristics. No, it doesn't. It could just be the way they were brought up. One is better than, one less, less than with some parents. I hate to say it. Dated a lady years ago that was, we went out on the first date, and that was the last date. She um, grew up in a foster care system. Spent a lot of time talking about that. She was still traumatized by it. And she would talk about how certain people in that foster care household that she was in got treated better than she and other of her siblings. They would get to eat at the table with the family. They would have the cooked food that the parents would eat while the rest of them ate the processed food. You know, the stuff you pop in the microwave. They had better clothes. When it came down to going to church on Sunday, oh, they'd pick and choose the kids that would go with them. And the others were always in play clothes, only dressing up when somebody from the county came in to check on them. She never experienced physical abuse or sexual abuse, thank goodness. But she said that 
That feeling inferior was the thing that got her. And what it meant, because at the time I met her, she was involved in going into a lawsuit with the company she worked for. But I could tell just from that first date together how sensitive she was when it came down to feeling as though she was being treated less than. It all began with the waitress when she came over and said, hey, let me get your drinks and then I'll come back to take your order. So she went and got the drinks, brought them there, and then she said, I'll be right back. I just got to go and get these other tables. So I'm sitting there talking to her, and the first thing she does is cut her eyes at me, and she says, that bitch just, dis just disrespected us. And I said, how so? She says, she's going over there to serve those people, and she hasn't come over here. I said, well, she told us that she was going to go and give us some drinks and then go over there. She says, hmm, yeah, right. From that moment forward, I knew that there was going to be something. And so the waitress comes back. She's ready to take her order. First thing out of a girl's mouth was, so why are you waiting until to come back and take our order now? After all, we were here first. And she said, well, the other party had been here for a while and the person was waiting and she literally had to explain to her why. She didn't have to, but she did out of courtesy. And the place was real busy and there wasn't that many waitresses on staff. Because I didn't feel slighted or disrespected. And so as she went down the menu and ordered, she made it a point to ask the lady to tell her everything that was in the particular items that she was going down. She ordered pepper stick, I believe. And so she's going down through this and making it very difficult for the lady. And she's writing down and she's telling her what she doesn't want, what she does want. And then what dawned on me was, she's doing this to set that woman up. It was just a passing thought because she it was not that complicated. The only thing she had to do was just tell her what she wanted. But she's going through all of these different items. So she brings the food. She takes one bite. She's calling the waitress back. First thing out of her mouth, mouth was, you've been disrespecting us all night. And I'm sitting there like, no, she hasn't. And she's like, I know disrespect when I see it. And this bitch is disrespect. When she started that, I was like, okay, this is over, this is going nowhere. Let me speak to your manager. Manager comes over. Her story totally changes from what she had initially said. She was complaining about the food. She complained about the service, about the woman telling us what she did that she was gonna service the other table. But she twisted all of that shit around to say, oh, well, she just ignored us. And now she's giving us cold food. Food wasn't cold. Steam was still coming off of both our plates. And at that point, I realized, you know what? She's got issues. That's something that carried over from her childhood into her present-day adult life. 
So when I was taking her home, she says, you wouldn't be the kind of man I'd want anyway because you're too weak. You're just going to sit there and let her disrespect us like this. And I said, there was no disrespect. Oh, you didn't see it. No, I didn't. What I saw was a cordial woman. And I can't believe you tipped that bitch. She was going off on me about that. And then I said, you know what? You're riding in my car, burning my gas, wasting my time and eyesight. And I don't need to be with you. I dropped her off at her place and I took off. Never heard from her again. Couldn't repair that damage. It was done already. It had been done decades before I even met her. So why try to fix it? See, you have people that become so sensitive at times that, and as I've always told you, the more offended you are easily, the quicker it and better it is to manipulate you. Oh, we get outraged. My heart goes out to the young man and his family that was shot in Athens, Ohio. 90 bullets rained on this man's body. 60 of them actually made contact, killed him. Eight officers shooting one man. This young man was distraught because he had lost his woman. And probably thought he had nothing else to lose. They said they found the detectives said they found a pistol, loaded pistol on the driver's seat. They claimed that he shot at him while he was fleeing in the car. Sixty rounds. That's extreme. Overkill, that's excessive. But at that point in life, but a snapshot moment, he thought, probably, and I can't think for him, and wouldn't dare do it, but I'm just assuming, losing someone that close to you, sometimes you go and you do irrational things. Running from the police. You're not going to be able to get away for the most part. There are more people looking for you than people that will help you. Look at the lady who tried to escape, got down to Costa Rica. She had killed a woman down in Texas. And they still found her. And now she's back in Texas for trial. We have to look at it from the standpoint, folks, that life isn't fair. And we're going to be put in some fucked up situations in it. And what we have to learn how to do, and it took me a while to learn this from being in Mississippi, coming to California, and then having a whole different perspective on life. It came down to where just because you're in an environment and stuck with those situations, 
That's not the narrative of your existence. Where you don't have that control over your environment, over yourself. It will only exist that way if you allow it. And then after you get out of that environment, you have to work on yourself and fix yourself before anybody else can deal with you. To a certain point, you won't be able to fix yourself 100%. And when I say this, I'm talking about therapy, thinking things through, working on things that you know were wrong. And I looked at that young lady, the one that ended the date that night that we ended. I just said to myself as I left, that's a legacy problem that was started based on the way she was treated in foster care. And if she has a child, that child may be treated the same way she thinks and the way she felt. That child may feel slighted on every little thing that someone else does for her. Apple doesn't fall too far away from the tree a lot of times, unless it's on the hill and can roll down. These are things we have to really look at and consider when we meet someone. They have a narrative, they have a story, they have a history. And I know a lot of you don't want to go into it, you don't want to hear the histrionics, you don't want to go through all of that. But if you're going to be with somebody in a relationship, at some point it's going to infect your it's going to impact your relationship. No matter how you try to camouflage it, how you try to deflect. We'll talk more in a moment. One thing that you have to understand too. When you get a chance to know someone and they start opening up to you, you have to approach it without judgment and listen to what they've gone through because that will give you a better understanding of them. And there will be some that won't talk about their past, don't want to talk about that is private for them and they try to keep it concealed. But what you have to remember also, that person's not being honest or fair with you. If you're seeing behavior that resonates from the trauma that they experienced, that causes a problem in the relationship. See, people think they'll have a past just because they don't talk about it. But if they're acting out, it could be problematic. I got set up with a blind date one time and my friend was, co-worker was said, man, you need to go out with her because, you know, my girlfriend has a sister and she's really nice, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, all right, you know, and then they arranged a double date. Well, the girl's mother invited us over for dinner. We got there and the drama started. They started talking about certain family members, people that myself and my coworker didn't even know. And I could tell that it was getting kind of heated because mother had one opinion of the person being like an angel. 
the sister had an opinion of the guy not being so trustworthy and the lady I was with really had a visceral reaction about him. Well, what they found out was that the mother had lent this man some money. All hell broke loose. Arguing, cussing, throwing plates. Nobody got hit. But it was something that we both weren't expecting. And this was a latent family issue. That was just below the surface. When I talked to my girl, taking her back home, she says, you know, I'm sorry about what happened. She apologized. I said, well, it's not uncommon. I've seen these kind of situations before. And she explained to me, she said, my sister's in denial. The guy that my mom had lent the money to was a friend of hers that molested my sister. And she said he tried to get me, but I was too quick for him. Didn't know it. Found out about it at that event. And it was like, wow. And she told me she apologized. I shouldn't be telling you this. This is a family matter, etc., etc. Well, I was like, well, you know, people have drama in their lives. Okay, that's to be expected. And folks, those of you who are saying that you don't deal with drama, I'm one of them. Let me tell you something. You may not deal with it, but someone else that you're dealing with may have it. Just because you don't, don't get the position that other people don't have it in their lives. Doesn't matter if you break up with this person, you get with someone else, they may have something going on in their lives. The way I've always controlled drama is through isolation. I'm away from problematic situations, the problematic situation doesn't exist. At least not as far as my input or my interaction. It still exists, but not in my life. Now, will you be able to insulate yourself from drama altogether? Hell no. Because you're even going to have it in your own families, and in your own situation. But you try to keep it at a minimum in your life. Now, here's the other thing. After about a couple of weeks, she told me that she needed to sit down and talk to me about something. And so we sat down. And she explained that she wasn't ready for a relationship. And I was like, okay, well, we could be friends. She said, yeah, I prefer that. I said, is something I did wrong? And I said, oh, no, no, it has nothing to do with you. She said, it has to do with some unsettled issues in my past that she didn't want to talk about. I respected that. And then she told me something that really blew me out of the water. She said, you don't understand, you're a co-worker. 
He literally begged my sister to stay with him. She's only with him because he's clinging on by his teeth. But the way he presented it, I thought he had everything on lockdown with her. But he didn't. That's what he presented to me. But what he wanted to do was to use me to solidify his relationship with this woman. And he was spending all kind of money for her, buying her all these things. But she never took him seriously because she was still dealing with some issues in her past. She was preoccupied. She didn't want a relationship. And she told him that, but he pushed and pushed. And he was winding up being used by her the whole time. And my girl said, she warned him about this. And she said, I was reluctant in meeting you because I thought you were gonna be like him and you're not. I said, well, hell, I didn't know he was like that. So I learned something new at that point. And so he kept going over to the woman's house and he said, so how are you and -and so-and-so? Oh, we, we parted ways a long time ago. Oh, what did you do? Did you cheat on her? What happened? I said, nothing happened. I said, nothing. I said, how everything's going with you? Well, you know, it's going. And I knew then. She was right. She was right. I never let him know that I felt as though he was using me just for that situation. But one thing that I did understand was that I couldn't hang around him anymore. Because... He was in a different orbit than I was when it came down to that. I wouldn't have stooped that low to bring somebody in in order to try to use them as a prop to solidify a relationship. And some people do this more often than you think. Another thing that you have to be mindful of too Not all people have had bad experiences in relationships. And sometimes they may be enthusiastic about having a wonderful childhood, wonderful upbringing. Don't discount that. Don't yawn and say, "Uh, be thankful they did. Because what that does, that makes it much easier for you guys to have a good start. Because see, As people, we don't like to hear other people's plight and problems. We lie to each other every day. Oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Instead of saying, how are you doing today? You know what? My knee hurt. I got a fart. My big toe is hurting. You can't say that to someone. What would they do? They'd walk off because they're walking past you anyway, saying, how are you feeling today? Because they don't want to hear the answer. That's the reason why they do it. They're just doing it out of courtesy. Imagine yourself in the old wild west. And you're walking past somebody down the street and the guy's a gunslinger. And you're saying, 
So how you doing today? I just killed five guys. I'm doing all right. That'd sound awkward as hell, wouldn't it? But see, what we have to look at is the way we treat each other. And we have to put it in some perspective as to where society has its place and your relationship has one too. And don't allow society to dictate how you guys live your lives. There's some of you that actually try to model your relationships after celebrities. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Be your own self. Your family, society, your friends, they have influence, but only to a certain extent, to the extent you allow them to have it. When you give them control, you have no control over your life. They're living your life for you. You're just a passenger on that train. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that follower. I told you about the lady a while back who had her friends and they talked her into cutting her beautiful hair off to put in a hair wig. But she wanted to have that solidarity fitting in. The people you're trying to fit in with they're trying to fit in with somebody else. And it's not you more than likely. There's no need. I used to have a friend that used to go out to the nightclub and he had this hoopty. This car was beat the hell up. I don't think there was a part on that car that didn't have a dent, crack, a break on it. And what he used to do was park the car blocks away from the club. And then he'd walk to the club because he was embarrassed about his car. And he'd come on, hey, man, what's up? Oh, nothing much, Charles. What's going on? And what happened this one night, and this is to show you how people are. There was this lady that kept looking at him. And I was trying to talk to this lady and she was trying to play hard to get. And I was like, well, you know what? Mm, I ain't gonna bother. And he was laughing at me, but I kept noticing this lady was looking over at his table. And so she comes over to his table, introduces herself, sits down, asks him to order her a drink. And she told him, she said, I need a ride home after they had been talking a while. And he says, well, you know, um, I don't have any transportation. This woman just straight up said, I know you got that old fucked up, beat up car out there. You used to drive it over here every once in a while, then you got embarrassed and you start parking it somewhere else. This woman had been eyeing him for the longest and he had no idea. Power of observation. He was so happy that this lady noticed him, and I thought, I said, well, you know, she asking for a ride home, probably a one night stand, etc. Nope. Next weekend, they were together. They were all cuddled up, and this time, he actually parked the car in the parking lot. 
And it was funny because when he would turn the car off, the whole ignition would come out on the key and the car would still be conking. And then it would just die. It was an Oldsmobile Delta 88. He had all kind of oil leaks, smoke coming out the car and everything. That woman actually worked with him and told him, hey, we need to get a new car. Not I, we. She saved up money with him. They were still living separate. She was living with her parents and he had his own place. And they went down to the car dealership and they put money down on a new car. That's when the Nissan Sentra first came out. He was so happy about the car. Everywhere he went, she was in the car with him. And eventually he told her, he said, you gotta move in with me. And he said, not only that, I want you with me as much as possible. He had to quit her job and get a job in the company he worked for. They had a beautiful relationship together. They quit coming to the club. They really worked themselves together. And that's what it takes. Because you never know who's observing you, who's watching you. You never know. And that person's already seen your reality. And they could comport themselves to go with it. You never know. Many of the women that I have met, when I talk about all these women I've dated, a lot of them, they met me through routine. Go to a certain restaurant. I may see them at the coffee shop at work or something. And that's how it transpired. But the one thing people don't do, they don't wear their emotions or their bodies. They don't say I'm bipolar. They don't say I'm codependent. They don't say I have issues with this or issues with that. You have to find it out by interacting with them, talking to them, getting to know them. And you have some that won't reveal anything to you. Now, I dated a lady for three weeks. And to this day, honest to goodness, the only thing I know is her first name and I knew where she worked. We went out on several dates, I think two or three, I think three dates. I got no more out of her as just someone that I'd like to have a relationship with from the first date to the third date that we had, nothing. She wanted to know about me. I don't like discussing my past, she would always say. Yes, I don't like discussing my family. I don't like discussing my life. And before I got to that point, around that third week we were together, I was thinking about, well, maybe I should just go and put the pressure on. And I said, no. I said, if she's discarded at this level, Either I didn't do a good job of making her comfortable or she's got some crazy shit that she's hiding. And I laid off. So I said, I'm not going to bother calling her. You know that woman never called me back? 
That woman never did anything to contact me again. And at first I was thinking maybe I should contact her. And I said no. Because if I'm that forgotten by her, I might as well remain that way. And I can live with that. Her personality was deceptive. She was very warm, open about her job, about where she worked. Everything else, that shit was like a brick wall. And she would laugh at my jokes and all of this other stuff, and she cracked jokes. But as long as the conversation didn't go about her in any kind of way whatsoever. Asked her what color she liked. What was her favorite color? She, it doesn't matter. That's what I was getting. But yet, she would hold my hand, give me a hug, give me a kiss. Never gave me any prospects. None of this stuff about, well, in due time, I'll tell you nothing like that. So I knew our relationship was on borrowed time. I said, she's not opening up, not even in the least bit about anything. I said, she got something to hide and whatever it is, that shit is big. But as far as our interacting, there was no problem there. I remember one day, the only absurd thing that ever happened with us, one day we went to, what was the name of that park? Uh, I think it was Lafayette, where the ducks are. And she sat out there and threw these breadcrumbs to the ducks. Every time I tried to start a conversation with her, let's just feed the ducks, let's not talk, let's just feed the ducks. Am I talking too much for you? No, 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 no. Let's just feed the ducks. And I'm like, well, damn, I'm still trying to think, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? Did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? And I asked her that. No, no, everything's fine. Let's just feed the ducks. I didn't say anything to her. I went to lunch that day and I went to take her back home. On the way back to her place, she says, why are you so quiet? I said, well, you said we should feed the ducks, so I felt as though there was nothing else to talk about. And then she started cracking jokes, corny jokes, of course, trying to break the monotony of silence. And then I just asked her, I said, what's up with you? Why are you so guarded? I'm not guarded. I'm fine. She got out of the car, went into her apartment, drove off. She called me up about two days later. I think it was two or three days later. Got it written down in my journal. And the only thing she said was, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. Well, I just called to check on you. 
Take care. Click. And I said to myself, I would never get emotionally involved with a woman like this. That was the last time I heard from her. I didn't even try to reach out after that. I said, you know what? Apparently something's going on. I don't know what it is. And I'll just have to accept whatever it is. Some folks you will not get closure from. You will not understand it. And this is the reason why you men, I tell you, you need to be very vigilant on how you spend your money on people. Dates like that, I wish I had the money back on. It was a waste. Time, money, effort, gasoline. It was just a waste. But what it did do, it gave me an experience that I could talk about now. So that when others of you encounter something like this, you know, not to put forth your best effort and to start pulling back to be more reserved. Unlike me at the time, trying to figure out what the problem was. Thinking I was the problem. Because sometimes people will make you think that. More in a moment. Now, we talked about control throughout this podcast. And as you know, I like to watch Discovery ID. And there was this case that I thought was pretty interesting out of California. And it all began back east, in the Midwest. This guy... He was a child at the time. He had a very domineering father. And his mother was very passive. The father took out his frustrations on him more so than his younger brother. The younger brother was more or less like uh, somebody that was an understudy or an apprentice, so to speak. His older brother was the one that dad expected all of the masculinity to be bestowed upon him. In other words, you're going to take care of the family if something happens to me, so you got to be a man. His father was very brutal to him. The kid could barely speak in the house and he'd get a beating. And the mother would sit back patiently and be the nurse after he had gotten his ass whooped many times. And it got to a point where beatings were a regular thing for him. He would never beat the younger brother. And the wife, his mother, tried to defend him a few times and she got a few shiners, got beat up a couple of times. So she laid off of that approach and just started being a nurturer and agreeing with the dad on everything. Well, there was one particular day that the young man 
had done something you shouldn't have done. And what that was, they had report cards. And he had gotten a very low grade. And what he tried to do was to write over the grade with a more positive grade. But the problem was, the form had to be signed by a parent. Well, he forged his dad's signature, brought it back to the school. It was only obvious that it was a forgery. And so the school contacted the father. Father was furious, he was enraged. He got the belt and beat this young man into oblivion. He had marks all over his body, every inch. The mom went out and bought ice, put it in a bathtub, and just put the son in there. And at this time, he was around 11 or so. And she started grooming him. As she massaged him, I started telling him, what are you gonna do? You gotta do something. We can't let this happen all the time. And she quickly qualified how helpless she was and she needed his help. And she gave him the power of representing her as her guardian by telling him, you need to stand up and you need to do something about this. Well, he didn't know exactly where she was coming from. And she was telling him, we need to kill him. And what she was doing was feeding off of the momentum of this young man's anger. Well, the father had guns in the house. And what the mother did, she got him in the mindset that if you don't do this, it's going to cause problems for all of us. And I will leave him and leave you here with him. That was the leverage of manipulation she used. And unfortunately for this young man, he was stuck with that heavy burden. Well, she had attempted to poison him because he was taking vitamins and other items. And what she was doing was spiking it with different things, the mashed potatoes, the food, everything. But she only did enough, not to even make him sick, but enough to kind of fake to her son like she was trying to do something to kill him. So it'd be a lot easier for him to buy into her scheme. And unfortunately, it did. She told him, well, I tried everything that I know and it didn't work. Dad didn't get sick or nothing. So what happened? She said that she was gonna leave the house and when he comes in, and goes to sleep in the living room. He needs to hide behind the door with his gun and shoot his father. And she told him, if you don't do this and I come back and he's still alive, I'm leaving 
and you and your brother will be here to fend for yourselves. She leaves. Dad comes in the house, falls out on the sofa, falls asleep. Son's behind the door, son behind the door. At first he has the gun, but he doesn't have the nerve to do it. Tells his mother when she comes back, he didn't have the nerve to do it. She starts berating him and tells him, if you don't do it this time, I'm really leaving. At this point, I think he's around 13. She leaves the house. Dad does his usual, comes in, falls asleep. He gets the gun. He comes down to the living room where Dad is. And he stands there for a very long time. Until he starts seeing the headlights of his mother's car through the window. And in that snap moment, he shoots him. The mother comes in to make sure he's dead. She immediately grabs the son and tells him, starts rehearsing the excuse that he went to take his dad the gun, he stumbled and the gun fired. The detective was kind of suspicious at first. They investigated it and it was deemed an accident. This young man had that burden of killing his father on his shoulder through manipulation of his mother. He couldn't wait to get away. When he got old enough to join the military, he joined the Navy to get out of the family fray. Went down to boot camp down in San Diego. Mom was hounding him. Got out of boot camp, was on leave, and she told him he needed to come back home. He gets back home, and his mother tells him, your grandmother is evil, and she needs to go too. He doesn't want any part of it. He goes back to San Diego, she had manipulated her son, her youngest son, into killing the grandmother. She calls her son up at San Diego, tells him he needs to come back home. It's an emergency immediately. He drives back to San Diego in his truck. I mean, not San Diego, but back home. He gets back home. And his mother is proud to say that there's no more grandma, there's no more problems. We got rid of the problem. She takes him into this area of the house. There's a refrigerator and it has padlocks on it and all kind of chains. And she goes and opens this thing up. And there were 40 garbage bags of grandma in the icebox. She tells him, well, your brother did all the work. Now you have to take care of 
getting rid of it. He flatly refuses. And the next morning he gets in his truck and he takes off and he starts smelling something only to realize that they have packed all of those bags into a cooler, a huge eco cooler. He gets pulled over by a police officer. He has a gun in the vehicle and he's thinking, well, his mom stuck him. So the way he looks at it, he's not gonna have any time to explain to the cop why he got that body in the cooler. Cop stops him, he looks back at the truck, he asks him what's in the cooler. He says a little or nothing. And just when the cop was ready to go back to check the cooler, a speeder passed by and the cop gets in his car and takes off. And the guy realizes he has to leave before the cops get back, so he does. He makes it to San Diego. He rents a storage unit and he puts the decaying body parts inside. Well, people started asking questions about the grandmother. Why isn't she there? She's nervous, the mother is. And she comes out to San Diego and tells her son, what are we going to do? They're asking questions. You need to handle it. You are the decision maker. You need to figure out some way of dealing with this. Well, the brother decided to go to the police. And the same detective that got him off on the charges at the time, the one that investigated the first time about the accidental murder of his father was the detective on the case. And they were able to get the body. Parts. Well, the brother explained everything that happened. He didn't waste any time. The mom treated it as if the idea was the son's idea, the oldest son's idea. And the oldest son told the truth. And they all wound up doing time. What this goes to show you folks is that some people are controlled and manipulated at an early age in their lives to do things that are devious, things that are wrong, things that are morally wrong. And sometimes they'll come out trying to live their lives and you may catch them at that moment where they're trying to right themselves from wrongs that have been done in the past. And you may not realize this until after you're in a relationship with them. Now this man was going to be troubled for the rest of his life along with his brother. They're traumatized. His mom got put away for God knows how many years. And it was funny. When they showed him a picture of her, because he hadn't seen a picture of her in 20 years, he said, that's the same evil old lady that manipulated me from when I was a child. And to this day, 
she does not own or account for anything that she had manipulated those boys to do. It was all them as she sees it. Now I want you to imagine dealing with someone who may not be in a situation that extreme, but have grown up in a controlled environment. And you're trying to figure out on the first or second date what the hell is going on with this person. And not understanding, because they haven't disclosed to you, some of the things that they've had to deal with in their past. And you start to notice that you thought this person had the same standards and values you had and didn't come to find out they may do something that's totally out of character. I went out on a, went on a date with a lady one time. She was from South Central. You know what she told me at the dinner table? We ought to just run out now and not pay for it. I'm like, what the hell? She was accustomed to doing that because that's what she and her mom and family did. You never know the full scope of a person until you've been around them. And when you find out, you got to make a snap judgment as to what you're going to do. After I dropped her off that night, we were never going to see each other again. I'm not going to be with somebody that thought like that. But I understood that was the way she was brought up. But on the surface, she was a nice person. Underneath the veneer, not so nice. So, what I'm saying, the moral of this whole story is this. Don't be fooled by the facade a person presents to you. Look at the contents, not the packaging. The packaging gets your attention. The contents actually get your interest. That's the distinction. Something that's not interesting, what do you do? Discard it, right? But if you accept the package and the whole kit and caboodle without really looking at what you're getting, hmm, buyer beware. Take care, folks. Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth and Facebook.com Romantic Truth. Like us, follow us. We appreciate you. Thank you. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region.
The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.